0: Hey there, everyone! It is a delight and a pleasure and a blessing to be sharing God's word with you today. My name is Jacob Weersen. I'm one of the co-substitute teaching leaders at the St. Louis Young Adults class at BSF, and we're going to be talking about 1 Kings chapter 22 uh, and 2 Kings chapter 1. So, if you have your Bibles out, that's we're gonna we're gonna be diving in uh, today. And before we get started, before we dive into our passage, I want to start with a few, maybe one probing question to get us thinking about what's the theme, what's the big picture here for this lesson. I think the question I have is, what do you seek after in this life? What do you seek after in life? Or better yet, whom do you seek after? And I think reading these passages in 1 Kings, I have often found myself frustrated at Israel's history and thinking of both the northern and the southern kingdom, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. You know, their overt wickedness, their hatred of the one true God, oftentimes it seems like their refusal, right, to worship God and to seek after the only one who could save them. But, you know, the more I read, the more, the less frustrated I get and the more I realize that Israel's history is really the history of humanity and actually Israel's history is my history too. Time and time again, just in the last few weeks, as we've been reading about the northern kingdom of Israel and their um, wicked kings, and I catch myself seeking after, just like them, seeking after things that have little or nothing to do with God. Whether it's the pursuit of my own pleasures or the desire to see my wealth grow rather than God's glory, uh, seeking after man's approval rather than God's. Uh, seeking after security and comfort in the world around me rather than resting in the identity that Christ has already solidified for me on his cross and in his resurrection. See, our lives oftentimes, this side of heaven, seem like they're always in this perpetual state of seeking after something or someone that isn't God. And that's our sin nature at work. And it causes us to feel like wanderers, right? Endlessly searching for that one thing or that one person in life that's gonna give us what we're looking for. And in this week's passage, uh, we will once again see Israel's kings choose to seek after things that can't save them, and they're going to suffer mightily for it. There are consequences to that. Nevertheless, though, we see God's abounding mercy and the long reach of our faithful God to call his people unto himself. So the lecture uh, today is going to be split into two divisions. The first division is division one, first Kings chapter 22. That's seeking after man's wisdom, seeking after man's wisdom. And then division Two, Second Kings chapter one, seeking after the world's security and comfort. So we'll get into that in just a moment. I think an overarching theme of what we find in this lecture, uh, or in this lesson rather, is that each time we seek after the things of this world, things that are not God, God in his mercy offers us a better way. Each time we seek after the things of this world, God in his mercy offers us a better way. All right, let me pray for us and then we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, I ask you to quiet all of our hearts at this moment and to just say thank you. Thank you for preserving your word. Thank you that you are a God who can be found Lord, you are a God who draws near us who draws near to us. I pray you would draw near to me right now that you would draw near to everyone listening to this or watching this, wherever they may be. Lord God, remind us that you are always with us, you don't forget about us. We are not alone. And Lord, speak to us. Speak to what to, to us through your word, through your spirit. It's in your son's great name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, Division 1, 1 Kings chapter 22. I've titled this division Seeking After Man's Wisdom. 1 Kings 22, Seeking After Man's Wisdom. So last week, we were um, going through the saga of Elijah, right? Uh, 1 Kings 18 through 21. We see God's great deliverance, how God draws near to Elijah in the midst of suffering and depression Uh, And we are just amazed uh, by his faithfulness. And we're going to see a little bit of that as well uh, in our lesson. But we're also continuing on this, I call it the sad, sorry story of King Ahab. And biblical history, um, King Ahab, of course, is the um, king of the northern kingdom of Israel. So we have right the divided kingdoms right now in Israel's history, the southern kingdom of Judah, and then the northern kingdom of Israel. And uh, King Ahab is not portrayed in a positive light in biblical history. As a matter of fact, him and Jezebel are probably probably the most notorious leaders uh, of uh, the kingdom. And in the opening verses of 1 Kings 22, scripture does tell us there is a time of peace, that there have been three years without war between Aram and Israel. But in year three, uh, Ahab wants to stir something up. And we always look at Ahab as this greedy, right? This greedy king. We learned that last week with Naboth's vineyard. King Ahab is a greedy king. He really just wants to take what's not rightfully his, or he's just wanting to beef up his own um, ego and his own ambition and glory, right? That's he's Ahab is for himself. Right? That is Ahab's main purpose in life. So Ahab wants to stir something up. And he says that Ramoth Gilead actually belongs to Israel and they should go and take it back. And King Jehoshaphat is actually brought down. King Jehoshaphat is the king of the southern kingdom of Judah, right, in this divided kingdom. And King Jehoshaphat is, is consulted by Ahab. And, you know, Jehoshaphat pledges support, but he also reminds Ahab to maybe consult. Maybe he should consult the Lord first. And what Ahab does next is a bad example of leadership. So aspiring leaders take note. And by the way, we are all leaders in some way or another, whether at our church or in our families. So this applies to all of us. But a bad form of leadership is when you surround yourself with advisors and people that will just agree with you always on everything. Or they'll just tell you what you want to hear. That is a bad form of leadership because you need people around you that will step in, speak the truth, even when it hurts, even when it contradicts your beliefs about reality. Ahab, of course, does not do this. And instead, he brings in uh, hundreds of prophets who tell Ahab what he wants to hear. Go to war with Ramoth, Gilead, they tell him, because the Lord is going to give you the victory, Ahab. You are going to be victorious. And remember, Ahab is about numero uno. is about himself. So he hears these things and he's like, ah, yes, this is what I want to hear. And, you know, I can get annoyed with these prophets, um, but I think judging by Ahab and certainly Jezebel's reputation as well, these prophets are probably, I mean, they're false prophets because they're t- they are not telling him the truth, but they're also probably terrified to be in the king's presence because they're like, you know, if if I don't tell Ahab what he wants to hear, I might get killed by him and Jezebel. I mean, I'm sure his, his reputation preceded um, him. So, you know, I, I get annoyed with these prophets, but I also, this is this is a very potentially dangerous situation because King Ahab and Jezebel are both very unpredictable monarchs and they are very dangerous. But Jehoshaphat sees through all this charade. So he asks, but and he asks Ahab, he says, look, come on, these, these prophets are just telling you what you want to hear. Is there anyone in your kingdom that can come in and tell us the truth? Tell us what the Lord says. And I think Ahab is a bit funny here and I, I look at Ahab as this whiny, sorry excuse of a king Right? Because he says he basically says, oh, there is one prophet, but he doesn't like me, and he doesn't say nice things about me. I mean, can you imagine a leader of a great kingdom saying something like that? I mean, that is a weak and whiny person. And he even says, the real verse actually says, there is still one prophet through whom we can inquire of the Lord, but I hate him because he never prophesies anything good about me, but always bad. That's the sorry state of who Ahab is. Um... So Jehoshaphat says, we need to bring this guy in. Who is it? We need to bring him in because he needs to tell us the truth. So that individual, that prophet who will give us the God's honest truth is Micaiah. And Micaiah is the son of Imlah. Um, so they consult, they send a messenger. Ahab sends a messenger to bring Micaiah into his courts. And the messenger, in verse 13, when he um, tells Micaiah that, hey, the king's calling you, he, he wants you to prophesy whether or not he should go to battle— um, and the messenger tells Micaiah, you know, you should probably just go with the flow. And um, here's what the other prophets have been doing; uh, they've been telling him that he's going to prosper and he's going to be victorious in this battle. You should tell him the same thing. And I love verse 14. This Micaiah is bold, and he says, "As surely as the Lord lives, I can tell him only what the Lord tells me." And I saw that, and I thought, you know, we all we all need a Micaiah in our lives, right? We all need a Micaiah. I often think when we, you know, when I'm ever have a crossroads in my life or I'm rethinking a decision that I made or maybe I'm considering a new path, uh, I often try to bring people in my life to consult their advice, but I often will bring in the people that I know who are going to agree with me and tell me what I want to (laughs) hear, right? I will line people up and I'll, I'll, okay, this person's going to tell me what I want to hear. This person's going to reaffirm what I want to hear, And I'll save that one person who will tell me the truth, that one person who will be honest with me. Maybe for last, I'll consult them last, or maybe I won't even consult them at all because I already have a desire and I want to follow that desire, whether it's good or bad, whether it's according to God's will or not. And I often act like Ahab sometimes in those moments. But we all need that one person who can speak that truth to us. And it's it's true in life that oftentimes the truth, the Lord's voice, the Lord's whisper, over life's chaos is often not the loudest. It's often not in the majority, but it is truth and it is there. And it doesn't change regardless of whether we want to hear it or not. And this is what Micaiah is bringing to Ahab. So Micaiah tells Ahab the truth. And I think it's fascinating because Micaiah paints this incredible picture and, and verses 19 through 23 really um illustrate this picture but it's it's an incredible picture. First of all, Micaiah tells Ahab, you're going to go to battle. Um you uh, Israel's going to be scattered, the northern kingdom is going to be scattered. It's going to look like they don't have a master. It doesn't it's not, it's going to look like they have no one in charge. They're going to go home and then you're going to die on the battlefield. And Micaiah also paints this incredible picture in heaven, right? Where it's before God's throne, and he's showing how God's heavenly decree, his sovereign hand, has decreed, has prophesied that Ahab is going to die in this way and in this battlefield. It's this incredible picture. And of course, like many of God's prophets, or when anyone presents God's truth to a majority truthless uh, environment and atmosphere, they get persecuted. We saw Elijah getting persecuted for bringing God's truth, right, as he runs for his life from Jezebel. We're going to see it in many of the prophets that we're going to study in this year's um, lessons. And Micaiah, after he presents this true prophecy, is slapped in the face. Literally, he is slapped in the face and then he's put in prison. God's truth is often always persecuted in a truthless world, right, in a world that does not want to follow God. And it often, that's because God's truth pierces at our hearts, it pierces at our soul. It often strikes at our very desires and will. So then what happens, right? What happens? So Micaiah prophesies this, Israel's going to be scattered on the battlefield, they're going to go home, and Ahab, you're going to die. And verses 29 through 40 describe this battle as it does unfold, but here are some cliff notes. So first. At the beginning of the battle, Ahab tells Jehoshaphat. Right, they're in this weird alliance. Jehoshaphat wants, you know uh, allies himself uh, aligns himself with Ahab, and Jehoshaphat, the king of the southern kingdom, uh, decides to wear those royal robes. Ahab convinces Jehoshaphat to wear the royal robes, and Ahab decides to be in a disguise. So, not only is Ahab weak and whiny, but he's also a scaredy cat. <laughs> Right, and he is also, um, you know, a liar and a and a schemer. Why Jehoshaphat agreed to this, I think, should puzzle all of us. I had a one of our group members mentioned made this comment, and I thought it was hilarious, but true is that sin makes you stupid. Sin makes you stupid, and Jehoshaphat was stupid in this specific situation. He was not smart, and he decides to agree with this terrible plan. But, anyways, we digress. Um, that, that scheme doesn't fool anybody, because even though Jehoshaphat was wearing these incredible, you know, the, ro- the royal robes, um, when he's being attacked by the uh, opposing army, the, army rec- the soldiers recognize that that's not Ahab. Once Jehoshaphat cries out, they say, wait a minute, that's, that's not Ahab. That's, that's the king of the southern kingdom. And in this poetic form of justice in this, and God often does this in, in life, At that moment, Ahab is killed by a random bow that strikes him and he eventually dies from this mortal wound. And of course, what happens? The northern kingdom is scattered on the battlefield, or excuse me, Israel scattered on the battlefield. As was foretold, the soldiers look like they don't have a a master, they don't have a leader, and the soldiers all go home. And verse 38 uh, describes Ahab's death, and I think it's just this... It's a chilling verse because this has been prophesied and it happens exactly the way God says it's gonna happen. And verse 38 reads that they washed the chariot at a pool in Samaria where the prostitutes bathed and the dogs licked up his blood as the word of the Lord has declared. That is a brutal and soulless ending to a brutal and soulless king. See, God's judgment, God's prophecy, God's word always has the last word. And it always comes true. Whatever God says will happen, will happen. It's a brutal ending for a brutal king. And before this chapter ends, when uh, when we hear that, uh, you know, at the conclusion of this chapter, we we read that uh, Ahaziah is going to be the king of the northern kingdom. Ahaziah is the son of Ahab. And we're going to find out, by the way, in the next chapter that he is not much better than his father. We also get a reprieve from the madness in verses 41 through 50, and I just wanted to point this out really briefly. But in this section, we're reminded that Asa's son, Jehoshaphat, and if you remember, uh, Asa is a good king. He followed in the steps of the Lord. Um, he did what, what was right in the Lord. Jehoshaphat also follows in those footsteps, and he also does what's right in uh, the eyes of the Lord. He rids the land of the male prostitutes, even though the high places did remain and unfortunately, people continue to offer sacrifices and burn incense. He did do some good things for God's glory and he did follow after him. And I just think it's interesting to point that out because we, even in these dark moments, uh, in this historical account, there are sprinkles of God's goodness and there are moments of light in the dark. God is always moving. God always has purposes and plans in place. He is always moving in the midst of tremendous sin and darkness. So as First Kings ends, It leads us, I think, to our first principle today, which is that when we seek after God, we can receive his wisdom, be assured of his faithfulness, and be confident in his word. When we seek after God, we can receive his wisdom, be assured of his faithfulness, and be confident in his word. You know, I've been using this phrase, seeking after God, um, a lot so far, and we're going to unpack this in the second division, but what are some takeaways in this immediate first division? Well, we have to notice, and I mentioned this before, that truth, God's truth, is often not the loudest voice, and it is often singular. It is often alone. It often is not the majority voice. And by the way, I don't know if you've noticed, but in 2022, 21st century Western world, and really all around us, we, we are bombarded with messages. And we, there are so many voices. It is so crowded with voices, loud voices out there. Here are some examples, right? The loud voices of social media tell us um, that we should be living our lives in a certain way. And this often produces, gives us burdens and um, gives us some anxiety. And it sends us into this comparison spiral of always looking at how someone else is living and always comparing us, comparing ourselves to someone else. And the loud voices of culture tell us how to live when it comes to relationships and dating and marriage, and oftentimes they are at odds with how God has designed all of those things. And the loud voices of personal temptation call us to pursue pleasure or ambition or to abandon walking with God so that we can be our own God, so that we can call our shots and live out the life that we've always dreamed of and wanted. And these voices are loud. They are prominent. They are consistent. And they are everywhere. right? We, we we hear these voices on a daily, oftentimes I think an hourly basis. We are bombarded. And they don't tell us the truth. They lie to us much like Ahab's false prophets. But there is one voice that speaks the truth. And it is truth personified. And truth personified, of course, is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the truth because Jesus said in John 14:6 that I am the way I am the truth and I am the life no one comes to the father except through me and Jesus also said in John 8:32 that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free that is the promise that we have from scripture that is the promise that we have from Jesus Christ who is truth personified he is truth the truth will set us free. So let's dive into that a little bit more. I just want us to set the stage for what we might take away from this first division. We're going to dive into that a little bit more here in the second division, which is that, uh, which is second Kings chapter one, seeking after the world's security and comfort second Kings chapter one, seeking after the world's security and comfort. Okay. So we already know that God's God can be relied upon because whatever God says is going to happen will happen. And as we're moving in here to 2 Kings chapter 1, we are again introduced to Ahaziah, who, by the way, again, as I mentioned, is not much better than his father Ahab, and he's following his own footsteps, and he has not fallen in the ways of the Lord. He's doing evil in the sight of God. And in the opening verses, we're told that Moab is rebelling against Israel at this time. And the northern kingdom's king, King Ahaziah, falls through the lattice of his upper room, and he suffers an injury. I just have to think. I think when, that, when things like that happen, setbacks like that happen in these kings' lives, I have to think that God is giving them opportunities to turn to him. God is giving them opportunities to repent, to seek after him in these times. But Ahaziah does not do that. Ahaziah, instead of turning to God, sends a messenger to consult the false god of Ekron, Baal Baalzebub to see if he's going to recover from the injury or if he's going to suffer from this injury for the rest of his life. And Elijah, at this moment, steps in uh, through the angel of the Lord, prompts Elijah to confront the messenger. And Elijah tells Ahaziah, he says, okay, I don't know why the king is seeking after... We already have a God in Israel. It's the one true God. And he's seeking after a false God. I don't know why he's doing that, but... You go ahead and tell your king that he's going to die from this injury. Right? Elijah intercepts the messenger and tells him plainly, King Ahaziah is going to die from this injury. And I think verses 8 through 9 are comical, right? Because the messenger comes back and tells the king, hey, you got this dude who intercepted me and told me that, actually gave me a prophecy and told me that you're going to die from this injury. And in this moment, I think King Ahaziah is probably like, oh boy, was this Elijah again? And he's like, what did he look like? What did this prophet look like? And the messenger says, well, he was pretty scruffy. He had a leather belt, uh, a garment of hair. Just <laughs> You can just imagine. I mean, scripture does not elaborate on this. So this is total. Um, these are just my thoughts and my musings. But you just have to imagine the sinking feeling from King Ahaziah, who's like, oh, my gosh, that's him. That's him. That's exactly what he looks like. It's Elijah again. So I just had to point that out because I think it's a little comical. So the king tries to, um, you know, he decides to confront Elijah through um, a a company of of his men um, to confront Elijah over this pretty harsh prophecy. And in this moment, we see God's display, God's power displayed, because not once but twice the fire of God falls from heaven on the king's captain and his 50 men. Twice. It happens twice. But third time is the charm, and this captain, the third captain, approaches Elijah, and he begs Elijah to have respect for his life. He acknowledges um, the tremendous power that is, at, is on display here from God, and Elijah gets a prompting that says, look, from, from the Lord and says, look, you can, you can trust this guy. Go ahead and meet him. You can trust um, what this guy has to say. So Elijah has an opportunity to co- confront the king again. And in verse 16, Elijah says, "This is what the Lord says." And he repeats his prophecy; doesn't mince words. He says, "It is, it is because there is it because there is no god in Israel for you to consult that you have sent messengers to consult Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron. Because you have done this, you will never leave the bed you are lying on. You will certainly die." And what happens? We've seen whatever God decrees, whatever God says, whatever God prophesies, it happens. It is fulfilled. We can trust that God's word is true. We we can trust that whatever God says will be, will be. And King Isaiah dies. And the chapter ends with Jeram becoming king of the northern kingdom. And as we wrap up here, I think we have another principle, and um principle from 2 Kings chapter 1 is that when we seek after God, we will find true security and safety. We will find the true security and safety we've been looking for. Let me say that one more time. The principle for this section when we seek after God, we will find the true security and safety we've been looking for. Alright, so I've shared two principles. Right. The first principle, um, when we seek after God, we can receive his wisdom. We can be assured of his faithfulness, confident that what he says will be true, will happen. The second principle, when we seek after God, we find the peace and security and safety that we've been looking for. How do we tie those two principles together? How do we wrap this up? Well, we've continu- we're continually seeing, um, specifically with Ahab and Ahaziah, pursuing and seeking after idols and prophecies that have nothing to do with God. And they aren't just the minor issues in life, right? These are matters of life and death. The kings are seeking after things that only God can give them. Life, protection, wisdom, leadership of their kingdom, security. These are big deals. These are big issues that the kings need wisdom for. And they're going in the opposite direction of the only one who can actually help them out, who can actually give them what they are looking for. Well, how do we take some application here? How do we apply this? To our own lives, and you—you heard me ask, "What at the beginning of of this lecture? What or whom do you seek after?" And I don't mean the small—I mean sometimes, but I'm not necessarily seeking the small decisions that we make daily. I'm talking about, excuse me, maybe the big ones, the big questions that we have. I'll explain what I mean in a second. Let's be honest with ourselves for a second. So I'm—I'm gonna—I'm gonna do what what I'll call a brief survey to evaluate some of the things that we seek after some of the big for some of the big questions in life so you can just think about this take this to heart you can do some time of reflection and just think over what are some things that i'm seeking after what are some answers that i'm looking for who am i looking for for those some of those answers so quick survey of the things that we are seeking after so i'm going to list Uh, Five or six statements, six statements, and then you can just reflect on them and see if you identify with any of them. So the first one, I seek after ambition and success, whether it's in school or at work to feel adequate and to make me feel like I matter. The second one, I seek to control the people around me and my circumstances to try and avoid disappointment, pain, and suffering. The third statement, I seek after people's approval to make me feel loved, accepted, and to make me feel like I belong. The fourth one, I seek after the pleasures of this world to feel satisfied and content. Here's another one, I seek after financial wealth to feel secure. And the final one, I seek after my own righteousness and good deeds so that I can feel truly forgiven for all the sins and failures that I've committed in my life. Here's what I'm not saying. I am not saying that ambition is bad. I'm not saying that wanting to love or please people necessarily is always a bad thing. And I'm also not saying that some of the beautiful and fun things that this world offer are all bad and evil, intrinsically evil. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that when we turn to these things that are not God to answer the big questions of life, do I matter? How do I find satisfaction? How do I find relief from my sin and the failures of my past? They're going to come up empty because these things are not equipped to answer those questions. They do not deliver because God is only the one who's the only one who can answer those deep questions. In fact, I have found in my own life that when I seek after things that aren't God to answer the big questions of my life, I get the same responses that King Ahab and King Ahaziah experienced when they sought after false idols and false prophets. Let's think about Ahab real quick. What response did he get from the false prophets? When he sought, instead of seeking after God, and, and instead of seeking after the true prophet, he seeks after the false prophets to only confirm what he wants to hear. What was the response that he got? What, was, what did they tell him? They told him lies. It was flat out lies. They told him absolute lies. And I feel like I've encountered that when I have sought after things that aren't God. Let's, let's go through some examples, right? When we seek after wealth and ambition, what does the world tell us? The world tells us that we are totally secure and safe when we have wealth and possessions. But the reality is that this world is uncertain. And none of us knows what tomorrow brings, right? James 4.14 illustrates that. Life is a vapor. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. How about this? When we seek after our own good deeds and righteousness for salvation, the lie that we hear there is that the more I do, the more good deeds that I do, the more forgiven I'll be and the more I'll be accepted by God and the more I'll be accepted by others. But we know that's not that doesn't even capture the true reality of our sin, because we know from Isaiah 64 that our good works are but filthy rags Because our sin debt is so great that the wages of that sin before a perfect and holy God is actually death. And there is nothing that we can do to earn God's grace, to earn God's favor. There's nothing we can do in and of ourselves to gain that. How about this one? When we try to seek and control circumstances or the people around us, to avoid disappointment and suffering. We realize we can't do anything like that, right? Because first of all, we don't even have the power to control life. We don't have the power to control circumstances. We don't have the power to control people. And we live in an unpredictable world. We can't prevent ourselves from living in disappointment eventually or suffering of any kind. It's the reality of the fallen world that we live in. When we try to control circumstances and people, we end up adding to our frustration and adding to our suffering. All right, so that's the first response. Often, I've been met with lies, flat out lies, when we pursue and seek after things that are not God. The second one is um, what King Ahaziah encountered when he consulted the false god of Baalzebub. So let's say, um, right, that the uh, you know King Ahaziah was not intercepted by by Elijah. Let's say that. He really went through, the messenger went through to the god of Ekron to try to see what um, the god of Ekron would say about King Ahaziah's injury. You know what Beelzebub would have said about King Ahaziah's injury? He would have said nothing. It would have been empty silence because there is no god of Ekron. It is a false god. That is a false idol. King Ahaziah would have gotten no response. Nothing. Because there is no Beelzebub. And I think that happens when we, when we seek after things that aren't God. We get emptiness. We get nothing. We don't ultimately get what we're searching for. Some examples, again, when we seek after the pleasures of this world, we feel empty because temporary pleasures are fleeting. And we will always need more to be satisfied. More and more and more. The same thing is very similar when we seek after people's approval for a sense of love and acceptance. We end up wanting more, and we're never truly satisfied because first of all, people's opinions change continually, people change all the time, and we're not truly satisfied, and we end up feeling even more insecure than we did before. The fact of the matter is is false gods, false idols are cruel masters. they lie to us, and they end up leaving us emptier and more frustrated than before. So what's the alternative? A lot of negativity here. Let's, let's bump up the atmosphere. Let's, let's bring in some hope here, right? Because God never leaves us without hope. His word always gives us a better way. God in his mercy always leads us to a better path. The alternative, of course, is doing not what Ahab and Ahaziah ended up doing, but it's seeking after God. It's seeking and pursuing Christ So we know what happens. I think we're quite familiar with the feelings and emotions and things that we get when we seek after things that are not God. So what are some things that we encounter when we seek after Christ? I think scripture shows us this. Think of Psalm 139, 16. When we seek after God, we find a God um, who in his word says, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to me, came to be. That means that every single moment of our lives whether beautiful and glorious or painful and agonizing passed through God's sovereign hand first. Nothing is an accident in our life. Nothing no season is wasted. There's no wasted time in God's time, in God's timeline. Or we find that when we seek after God as Romans 8:38 says that all things, and yes, all means all, all things work together for the for good for those who love God. That means even our sin, even our failure, even the painful moments of our life, God works together for his glory, for his ultimate glory, and for our ultimate good. When we seek after God, we find the one who truly satisfies. We find the one who calms that ache in our soul, who quenches the thirst of our hearts. Remember reading in John 4, 14, when Jesus says to the woman at the well, whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. When we seek after Christ, we find the true security and comfort that we've been looking for. We're reminded in Isaiah 48 that the grass withers and the flowers fade. By the way, I think that applies to anything on this side of heaven our possessions, our wealth, our status, our reputation, whatever it is that we're placing our trust in, all of that is gonna fade because all of that is temporary. So Isaiah 48, 40 verse eight says, but the the grass withers, the flowers fade, the things of this world fade away, but there is one thing that doesn't fade away. The word of our God stands forever. That's a foundation you can build your life on. That's a cornerstone you can build your life on. See, when we seek after Christ, we'll find the ultimate answer to our ultimate question, which our biggest problem and biggest question, by the way, is what we do with our sin. That's the greatest uh, problem and obstacle that we face. But when we seek Christ, we find the true rescue from the sin. We find true rescue from, from our sin. We find the full forgiveness that we are longing for. We find the true belonging and acceptance we've been searching for. We find rescue from death. We find eternal life. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9 tells us that you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, so that we can declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. That is what we're a part of. That's the kind of belonging we have. Romans 8:24 reminds us who then is one who condemns? No one, no one condemns. If you are in Christ, your sin is fully forgiven. The verse continues, Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. God stands, Jesus stands defending us because of his death and his resurrection. That's the right standing that we have before God. So the alternative here, as we wrap up, is of course to seek after Christ. And I think we can do that in different ways. We can do it with what we're doing right now, reading his word, hearing his word. Uh, Maybe we do it uh, in our uh, BSF class, in our discussion group, or at church in corporate worship. But we can also seek the Lord on our own personally in quiet time. Sometimes that just means grabbing a Bible and getting alone and just saying, Lord, open my heart and and my mind as I work through our lesson, as I As I read it, as I read your word, Lord, open my heart. Let your presence come into my life. Show me what you want to show me. Remind me who I am in you. It's as simple as that, right? Seeking the Lord, seeking him in prayer, seeking him in solitude, in the quiet moments. However, we seek Christ in those ways, and it's ultimately and first and foremost through his word, I think we can be assured from the prophet Jeremiah. By the way, I'm excited because we're going to be studying Jeremiah a little later on in this year's study. But from Jeremiah 29, 13, here's what the Lord says through the prophet Jeremiah. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. When we seek Christ in his word, when we meet him alone on his terms, we're going to find that our God, the creator of the universe, the creator of heaven and earth, and the savior and lover of our souls not only can be found, but that he does not provide empty promises. He never lies and instead gives us the truth. And he provides us with the real rescue and salvation that we're ultimately looking for. With that, let me pray for us and wrap us up. Lord God, I thank you that you are a God who can be found and you draw near to us, Lord. It's through your spirit that you, you draw us to you. Lord, our sin and our, our ways would never uh, lead us to you, but you you reach down to us, you seek after us, and we thank you for that, Lord. God, I pray for the believer who's listening to this and who feels like they are wandering, Lord, would you bring them back? Would you remind them that it's only in you that, you can, that they can find satisfaction, it is only in their identity as a believer where they can find true rest, true hope, true forgiveness. Lord Jesus, I pray that your salvation for them would be made more real to them as they read your word. And God, for those who are listening to this, who maybe if they're honest, Lord, they've never come to the point where they have repented, laid down their sin, and entrusted in you for salvation. God, I pray that you would invade their hearts and that you would open their hearts up and remind them that their biggest problem is sin and that you have already provided a solution, the solution, which is in Christ's death and resurrection. We thank you, Lord, that you have preserved your word. We thank you that you satisfy our hearts, that you save our souls, that you remind us of who you are, of your faithfulness. It's in all, your, all these things that we pray in your son's great name. Amen. Amen. Thank you all so much for um, joining me in the reading of God's word. God bless you all. Have an awesome week.